Thank you, Crystal. Welcome, everyone, on a rainy morning. I'm sure Pastor would prefer the white rain instead of this wet rain, but that's okay. He'll get his he'll get his turn. Don't worry about him too much. Well, we appreciate the Lord this morning and all He has done for us. Glad for answers to prayer. I'm sure, you all attended to dinner, had a wonderful time, wonderful meal, and I got stuffed. I mean, I got full. Had a good time to visit. Appreciate the church. Continue to pray for Brother DeStefano. <clears throat> I know it's quiet around his house. He can't talk too much, and then he starts coughing, and that's a terrible thing if you continue coughing all the time, but Let's pray for him this morning. That's why I'm up here. So you pray for me. We'll do our best. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, coming to thee, grateful, thankful. Thank thee, Lord, for a church, for an open door, a holiness church, preaching the truth, leading us on the way. We say thank you, Lord, for all your blessings. It's been a good week, Lord. You've been with us. Answers to prayer through every situation. We say thank you, Lord. Now, bless in this service this morning, Lord, as we sing, as we study, and as we praise thee. We'll thank thee for all you have done and are doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Good lesson. <clears throat> Depravity of mankind. Sin. It's talked about so much in this lesson. It's good. I'm so glad for him this morning. Let's turn in our songbooks to 339. 339. Glad as sinners, including myself, got delivered. He is able to deliver thee. 339. Is a great.
able. Now, growing up, I had wonderful parents. And if I needed anything, I usually went to my mother. But if I really needed something, I'd go to my father. And they supplied my needs. If I was hungry, mom would say, well, there's always bread. Thankful. Or my dad would say, well, that's how it is. He'd help me. But, you know, realizing that I was a sinner, I needed help. I couldn't go to them. They couldn't save me. But I'm glad for that word, but. And the key verse says, for the wages of sin is death. I like this word. But the gift of God. Aren't you glad for the gift of God? It's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came. I'm so glad for Jesus this morning hour. Appreciate him this morning. As we go to prayer this morning, let's remembering these on our list. Many, many needs there. Continue to pray for Naomi. Continue to pray for Charlie Bowser. It's an ongoing thing with him. It'll take time. So be with him. Continue to remember Doris. Good to see her hair this morning. And Don Cook and just the numerous ones on our prayer list. The Nyman's. Paul and Marlene Smith. Good to see them come in. Each and every one. The other needs, many, many there. Continue to pray for our outreach with the children. That's very exciting to me. I had the privilege of, when we were in Nesbitt, to be part of the outreach for children and to see 80 children from the Nesbitt area Come in through Bible school. So exciting. So good to hear that there's 28, 29, 30 children coming in here Sunday evenings. And it's really exciting to me when these children are lined up out front here. And these kids are about this tall, you know. And this little lady comes up there. She's about this tall. And Brianna makes them behave so well, and they do such a fantastic job with these children. I say thank you, Lord, for all our wonderful volunteers and all of our teachers that reach out. And so appreciated the, uh, <clears throat> the puppet show. If you weren't to the dinner on Friday night, you missed it. This young lady back here is so good at that. And her mother, mm. I'm thankful for Buddy that was willing to get up and try the cookies because I don't think I would have had the nerve. Not knowing that uh, a certain pastor, what he would have put in there. <clears throat> but I'm thankful for the good dinner, the good time we had, and the children. I appreciate them this morning hour. But let's remembering all the prayer needs. Christmas carol coming up and Christmas program. Those are willing to take that and train up these people that are taking part in it. It's a big job. It's a big job. So let's pray for them. Praying for one another, especially this Christmas. And if you don't really know the Christ of Christmas personally, 
I pray that you would know. I pray that this Christmas be the best of your life. You have a wonderful Christmas. Now let's kneel or let's stand in prayer this morning and pray for all these special needs. Many uplifted hands, I'm sure, the many needs, remembering one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, coming to thee, grateful, thankful, Lord. Thank thee for your sweet presence, Lord, to come into your house and worship thee and sing your songs, Lord, and praise, Lord, and see all the smiling faces back here, Lord, coming together. It's a great privilege, Lord. Thank thee that we can have personal salvation in our hearts, sins forgiven, Lord. Praying for our teachers, Lord, bless Sister uh, Bernice as she teaches upstairs here, and those that are downstairs, be with them, Lord, we pray. Be with our pastor, Lord, as he ministers to us this morning, Lord. What's done for thee, Lord, we say thank you, Lord, for you are worthy, worthy of it. And Lord, may this season, it's so special, Lord, so busy, but Lord, may we take time, Lord, to think of the Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. Many out there in this old world are hustling, bussing, spending money, Lord, like it grows on trees. But I'm so glad for the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. Be with these that are sick and afflicted, Lord, we pray. Those that are in the hospital, those that are not well, God, be with them every step of the way. We thank thee, we praise thee, Lord, for you are worthy, worthy of it all. Be with us now throughout the day. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. A couple announcements. Christmas caroling at excuse me, 6 p.m. December the 17th is the church Christmas program. So let's pray for those that are involved. Happy birthday to Dorcas Browser. Happy birthday to Gino. Happy anniversary to Ephraim and Stephanie Stoffis, and happy birthday to Austin Stump. You remember them, the Stumps. Let's pray for one another, pray for our sister churches, wherever they may be. Church of the Week is Lehi with Pastor Todd Cotter. Be with them, we pray. This time we'll take up the morning offering, give of your best. Good morning. You can't live with somebody who has been coughing for three weeks and escape. So something caught me. So um, if I were in school teaching and my voice was going bad, I would say, take out a piece of paper, read the scripture lesson, 
and write down four things you learned from it. And then I would stop talking while they did it. So we'll see what happens to my voice. Um, if anybody checks Brother Spangler's box and Brother Brenizer's box, I took the cookie dough home and baked some. Um, you're going to share yours. I mean, I had six eggs there, and they were all gone. This was pretty slimy. <laughs> it was interesting. All right, let's go to our lesson today. Before we do, um, after my last time I talked on Psalms, which was back in October, um, I, was, I was thinking about the lesson. Can you hear? Or should you take out a piece of paper? OK. Um, I was thinking about the lesson I taught in October. And it said, um, God is great in righteousness, in power, and in knowledge. And as I was thinking, I realized that you would not want a God who is great in knowledge and great in power but not righteous. That would not be a good God to serve. But his righteousness balances his power and his knowledge. And it just, it just made me thankful for the wonderfulness of our God and all that he is. So today, we go to Romans. If you didn't pick up a quarterly, I think there's a few left back there. Um, <clears throat> but in studying about Romans, it's not a book that I have spent time studying. Thank you. And um, so just kind of introducing the book. Uh, Paul was in Corinth when he wrote the letter around 57 AD, 58 AD. He was staying in Corinth. He was preaching in Corinth. He was dealing with problems in Corinth, but he was writing to Rome. And um, the studies that I looked at and looking in the scripture, he had somebody writing as he dictated this letter, which is uh, quite a long letter. We have it divided into chapters, I think 16 chapters. Yes, 16 chapters. We have it divided into chapters and verses. But Paul did not do that. Someone, when they were writing the Bible, when they were choosing um, a way to make the Bible easier to understand and read and find things, divided it into chapters and verses. This was a very long letter. But that was the day when you wrote letters. And there was no postal system. The only postal system that in any way was working was between 
palaces, important people, emperors. They had a system of sending um, things back and forth. But the common man had to find someone to deliver their letter. And so Paul was writing to the Romans. He, won, he had never been to Rome yet. But um, if you look at the last chapter of Romans, chapter 16, greet this person, greet this person, tell this person hi, like we would say. Um, uh, just give my good wishes to this person and that person and the next one. He had a lot of friends in Rome, a lot. And so there was a lady named Phoebe who was going to Rome. She, maybe her husband was there. I, I, there's no knowing what her business was. But she, Paul gave her the letter to deliver to the church in Rome. Um, there were Christians in Rome. And the thing that is very interesting, if you go to... Acts chapter 1, did I write down my verse, 210. Among all the people that were at Pentecost and heard Peter talking and preaching and others preaching, heard the gospel in their language, were strangers of Rome. People from Rome were there. And that is how the gospel got to Rome. Those people, unknown to us, we have no names, but they went back to Rome and told the wonderful thing that had happened to them in Jerusalem. And there were hungry hearts there, and they wanted to hear. They were enslaved. Um, somewhere, I'll write down what one person said about Rome. This was from Haley's handbook. Rome was a guilted, haughty cesspool of every foul thing. If we think it's a cesspool now, it was a cesspool then. We're not the only cesspool that we have lived in, people have lived in. There were cesspools and revival and cesspools and revival all through history. But Rome was especially a cesspool of iniquity. The difference in our day is uh, they had to write letters about their cesspool. We have phones and technology and all kinds of things. We have books and magazines and pictures. and I mean, the only pictures they had were the ones that someone drew. Do you understand the difference of how our cesspool gets around? Because of knowledge and inventions and things. So uh, Christianity got there around after. I am going to be done pretty soon. Um, did you bring a piece of paper? Um, and so this letter was about 28 years after Christianity was introduced into Rome, is when Paul wrote this letter. And Phoebe delivered it. Paul wanted to go to Rome, but Paul was 
in a way, waiting for God to open the door. And also, he was getting ready to go to Jerusalem with money for poor people. And so he had to go to Jerusalem first with this money that he was taking to the poor people. Um, but some of the problem was not just the cesspool of iniquity in Rome. If you have been strongly indoctrinated, like the Jewish people were, in the law of Moses, I believe they had a heart change, but their mind was still stuck in their indoctrination, keeping the law of Moses. Keep the law. We have to keep the law. And then, of course, here come Gentiles who had given their hearts to Jesus, and they wanted to be a part of the church. And then some of the Jews looked at them and said, uh, hmm, the only way you can be a part is if you proselyze to Judaism. You become a Jew. You proselyze. Or... Uh, you have to exercise some of the rights of the Jewish law, circumcision. You, you know, if you want to be a part. You know. And this was some of, as you read through Romans, you'll find out that Paul is working his way through these people's minds. Their hearts belong to Jesus, but their mind was still flooding with the things they had been taught. And if your mind has been strongly indoctrinated into something, it's best not to just say, okay, I'm going to throw that all out and then fill it with this. Because you may go the wrong direction. But what you have to do is sort through what's in your mind. No, that doesn't go with God's word. But did they have a Bible? No, they did not have a Bible. Paul's letter is in here. Paul's letter was only yet written on a manuscript and sent to the Church of Rome. And so you see that it was, it was a process of teaching these people to think right, to line their mind up with their heart. Um, and one of the statements that I found kind of gives Paul's overall message to Rome. Man's justification before God rests fundamentally not in the law of Moses, but in the mercy of Christ. So this is what he was trying to get across to them. You're saved by grace. It's God's mercy that makes you his child. Not being a Jew does not make you God's child. Not being a Gentile does not make you God's child. It's through the mercy of God that you become God's child. And so that's kind of the background. That's why he wrote the letter. Um, he was wanting that church to grow. He heard a lot from Aquila and Priscilla. Have you heard of them before? They were in Rome. 
And so they were sending messages. And maybe a lot of his friends that were in Rome were sending him messages, telling him uh, about some of the conflicts and some of the rejoicings and some of the victories that had been won. Um, And so we want to look at our scripture lesson that we have today. And um, I'm trying to find any other special notes that I found about this, this book. Many people look at the book of Romans almost as a, a, a mini New Testament telling all of the plan of salvation within those 16 chapters. If you just studied that and took that into your heart, you would be rejoicing. So let's find out. The first part, the first thing that uh, Paul pointed out to the, to the Romans when he wrote to them was the wrath of God. Let's read this scripture. Let's not read this scripture. <clears throat> that would be too much. Did you read this scripture? I guess maybe I better. Anyway. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. I want to look at this word wrath. I'm not a theologian. I really can't pick this this scripture apart in the way to understand it all. But I feel like this is important because this word wrath to us has a bad connotation. When we think about the wrath of man, you think about somebody that's out of control, they don't care who they hurt, they're very upset, they're very angry, and they're very self-centered. It's about me and mine and what you did to us, and I don't care if you're innocent, I'll hit you. I don't care if you're my wife, I'll knock you down. I'm angry, and I'm full of wrath about something. Well, when we think about wrath that way, we think, "Ah, my God has wrath. Oh, dear. But God's wrath is different than man's wrath. God's wrath is a controlled expression of displeasure against sin. His objective is to get rid of ungodliness and unrighteousness, where human wrath is just a self-enraged person that lacks self-control. Two different things. But if you, can you imagine, if you had been a person who had experienced a lot of man's wrath in your family, in the workplace, somewhere you had experienced a lot of wrath, Can you imagine reading this for the wrath of God? Oh, no. I'm not interested in that. I've experienced enough wrath. But if you read through this section, you will find out something more about God's wrath. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, and that they knew God doesn't mean they were Christians. Because that when they knew that God existed, just because you know God exists does not make you a Christian. I grew up in a time when probably most of my fellow students in school went to church. They knew of God. I remember in fifth grade, Mrs. Pickings, um, she, at the top of the chalkboard, she drew a line across, probably about a foot, and across there with her colored chalk, we made the manger scene, we made the camels. I wish I had a picture of it. I wonder if they looked like camels. And we had wise men and we had stars and all this in the public school. That was nothing. It didn't matter because there was knowledge of God. I was in school when the Bible was taken out. Up to that time, uh, we read a verse or there was a... Um, you know, the little cards with verses on, and you pulled one out and read it. Someone prayed. Um, you just did that in school. There was knowledge of God. Yes. Now there is not even, well, we say they have no knowledge of God. But there is knowledge of God all around us. There is knowledge of God, that there is a God when you consider all the parts of your body and how they function, there was no big bang that made your eyes function like they do. And you look around at the beauty of the earth and the coordination of the earth and the coordination of all the planets. There was no big bang made that happen. Anyone who thinks and wants to know truth, will acknowledge there is a God. I have a story. I was reading a book about a lady who went into China in the 70s. And what she did was she made the plans and the... Um, took care of the situations in China for people to come in and teach English in their schools, which they were willing to do at that time. But these were Christians she was bringing in, and they were using the Bible to teach English in the schools. And then they would have some secret services. They would bring in literature if they could hide it in their luggage and hand out literature in China. And at one point, it was either in China or one of those countries above China, Manchuria. Um, where is Nicole Barr? She's in... Um, pardon? Mongolia. It may have been Mongolia, but there's another country up there too, I think. I'm not sure. Anyway, she, it was in one of these countries. They were holding services. And this woman suddenly said, Now I know his name. As a child, or as a young person, she had a sickness which was unto death. The doctors could do nothing for her. She was going to die. And her mother said, I heard that there's someone up there. 
and they prayed to someone up there. And she got better. And she had lived what she knew about that person up there until she came to know his name. And she rejoiced in that. So there is knowledge of God if you want it. So the wrath of God is against all evil, but it is, it is a controlled wrath. I, I want, just yesterday, I was reading in Nehemiah in my devotions, and I, I thought it was amazing, because chapter one of Nehemiah, not Nehemiah, Nahum, chapter one of Nahum talks about the wrath of God. But in the middle of all the wrath of God, listen, God is jealous and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. He is wrathful. In another translation that used the word wrath. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. But verse 3 says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. It will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are in his dust. And it just keeps talking about wrath. And then you come down to verse 7. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. So do you see how his wrath is different from man's wrath? He knows. He cares. His, his is controlled. So what is wrong with man? What is wrong with him? In the second section, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this cause God gave them up, and I'm not going to try to read down through all of that until I get to verse 28, where, which is what is wrong with man. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and one translation put it this way, and even as they did not like to search to retain God in their knowledge, they did not want to know about God. The teachers in the universities do not want the students to know about God. And you've probably heard stories of people who have been persecuted in a university because they acknowledged they wanted God and they knew God. They don't want it. And they are willing, like our news, they're willing to lie about things. They're willing to stretch things. That's what's wrong with man. What's wrong with man is the same thing that was wrong with Satan. Satan was in heaven with God, worshiping God with Michael and Gabriel. And he decided he wanted to be God. He can't be. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He, 
you know, that's the thing. When the Satan comes around tormenting you, he is not God no matter what he says. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He is not all, um, all the things. I can't think of them right now. Um, he is not all that. Don't listen to him because that's what he wants to be. And that is what is in the heart of man. I want to be God. I don't want to know about God. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to think about God. I want to be God. I want to make all the plans. I want to do all the things. And these verses, and into the next section of verses, and I tell you, verses 29 to 31, wow, what a list of things that are in the heart of man when he wants to be God. It's awful. And that's what's wrong today in our cesspool of iniquity. Yes, they talk about the cesspool in Washington. Well, that's not the only place there's a cesspool. Um, there's cesspools all over the place. If your heart does not belong to Jesus, it's a cesspool. I'm sorry. It's a cesspool. Because it wants to be in control when there is a mighty God who made you and has all power to make you happy, joyful, complete, content. He's all powerful to do that. Where this, I want to be God, does not make you happy. It does not make you content. It does not give you peace. None of those people who live with cesspools in their heart are content or happy. They are, these verses 29, 30, and 31, they are some measure of those things. They may have not sunk to the bottom. But, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the top part of it or the depth of it. It's still because you want to be God. And you can't be God and love God. Let's just look at a few of these, then I'm going to quit screeching at you. I might sound about it. I bet I sound like that one woman that my husband listens to the news. I can't stand her voice. <sighs> She's this screechiest woman that knows it all. I can't. Can you turn that down? You know. He's in his den. Turn it down, please. You know. Um, and that's probably what I sound like today. Oh dear, the poor lady. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, that's sexual sin, very prevalent. Covetousness, which is wickedness, or excuse me, wickedness, which is evil intent in the heart that people don't see. Covetousness, lust for gain. Maliciousness, a desire to cause injury. If I could, I'd sock you in the face. Malicious. Full of envy. envy. Um, 
a real pain at seeing someone have what you want. Envy. Some of these are hidden. Some of these are in different levels. But let me tell you, the longer you reject Christ from being God in your life, the deeper you will sink into some of these. Debate. That is, oh, murder is taking away life. Uh, and remember what God said? If you hate somebody, it's the same as murder. Debate. That is not like the debate club in school. Talking about, you know, Judith tries to have debates in speech class, don't you? It's kind of interesting, trying to get these kids to debate. But... Um, Debate here is strife and division. Debate can happen in a church. And you can have strife and division in a church. Um, deceitfulness, lying, malignity. Putting the worst construction on everything. Uh, we need to be careful. I remember this story. I haven't heard it in years, but the preachers talked about it. I, I think a couple preachers may have used it as an example at one time. Uh, somebody had a pencil in their mouth driving down the road, and someone said they were smoking. That's malignity. Putting the worst construction on something. Well, they probably meant this. That can be somewhere in the churches, too. You have to watch for it. Uh, where are we? Whispers is another one we need to be careful about. Secretly. And then backbiters. They don't care who hears them. They're going to get their way. Haters of God. Despiteful. Uh, despiteful, loud, and boisterous abuse. Pride, exalting oneself. Boasters. <laughs> I'm sorry, my husband, there was a debate the other night. I think it was a Democrat and a Republican. And I looked at him and I said, that guy is so full of himself. I think he was from New York, maybe. <laughs> was he? I don't remember. <laughs> the Democrat. He was from California. Uh, well, he was full of himself. Anyway, <laughs> he was probably a boaster, self-assured and arrogant. You know, arrogance have a, has a look that everybody sees but the person that's arrogant. Inventors of evil things, we have a lot of that going on. You know, you have good technology. Computers are good to use. Uh, being able to share Christmas lists uh, online is a good thing to do. Then you don't have to keep calling people. Uh, what do you want for Christmas? Because I don't remember. Did, what did you say? Did somebody already get her this? You know, back and forth goes our our text. You know, did you get her this? Did you get her that? Oh, somebody already got her a toaster. Blah 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 blah. blah. It's good. It's good. But inventors of evil things has taken over. And put much evil there. Uh, disobedient to parents. I read something in studying for this. That even the heathen, 
know to take care of their parents and their children. And there's one other thing. Where did I write that? Okay. General knowledge, and this would make you knowledgeable that there's a God. Honoring your parents, taking care of your um, offspring, and keeping engagements is a common thing even among the heathen, unless you want to just plain be wicked. I thought that was very, very interesting. Disobedient to parents. Without understanding of spiritual things. Covenant breakers will not be bound to God. If it takes me committing myself to God, I'm not doing it. Without natural affection. Mothers leaving their children, fathers leaving their children, parents disregarding their children, and then the whole sexual, natural, lack of natural affection grows out of no love, self-gratification only. And when I'm tired of this sexual gratification, then I want something else, and then I want to try something else, and then I want to try something else, because there's no love involved. There's no care for the other person. There's no wanting what's best for someone else. That's why they're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And implacable, that's what I had to look up. Implacable means no reconciliation. I don't even want to try to get along. And then unmerciful. No care for a cripple. No, you know, this is, this is one thing that we teach our children, be merciful, uh, be careful, be careful around uh, older people. It always kind of disturbs me at camp meetings and where there's crowds, and children are going, and here's someone hobbling along, and where's the parents? Anyway, okay. Um, I, I just, I just want to close with, one story that's in our lesson. In West Virginia, when an invitation was given, a well-dressed woman came forward. I took her hand, prepared to give her a prayer to repeat. This was how they did their altar service. The prayer I usually give is, Dear Lord, I know that I'm a no-good sinner. I know I cannot save myself. I do not... I do need forgiveness for my awful sins. I can't do without you, Jesus. Please forgive my many sins. I here and now receive you into my heart as my personal Savior. I'll try to live for you from this night on. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And he had led many people in that prayer. So I took the lady's hand and began to give her the prayer to repeat. Dear Lord, I know I'm a no-good sinner. She didn't say a thing. I looked at her and said, don't you want to be saved? She said, yes, I do want to be saved, but I am not a sinner. <coughs> well, then you can't be saved, I said. Jesus only died for sinners. 
But Mr. Martin, she said, I'm a good sinner. A good sinner? Lady, there are no good sinners. You will have to take your seat. God cannot save you until you become conscious that you are a no good sinner and you need his forgiveness. But Mr. Martin, you don't understand. I'm really not a bad sinner. I told her to go sit down. But she just kept holding on to my hand. Finally, she looked, in the eye, looked me in the eye and said, Oh, please forgive me. I know I'm a no-good, hell-deserving sinner. I am a proud, no-good sinner. I do need Christ to forgive me of my sins. Wonderful. Now, lady, you're ready to do business with God. Thank you for your attention.